Hello, and welcome back to Analyze Asia, a podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. I'm your host, Carol, and today I'm joined by not one, but two guests from South China Morning Post, SCMP, to talk about its inaugural SCMP China AI Report 2020 that was released last week. Now, first of all, I would like to welcome both of you, Gareth and Sarah, to Analyze Asia. We have Gareth Nicholson, a senior news editor on the technology desk, and Sarah Dai, senior reporter at SCMP. And before we talk about the report, I'm sure our listeners will love to learn a little bit more about the both of you. So can Gareth and Sarah maybe do a little bit of an introduction about yourself? What is your role at SEMP and, and what do you do? Hi, Carol. Uh, this is Gareth. It's good to be here to talk about the uh, China AI report. Yes, my name is Gareth Nicholson. I'm a senior technology editor with the SEMP. Um, I've been here about two years, uh, and before this, I used to work with the Economist Intelligence Unit, uh, managing thought leadership projects in Asia. And before that, I spent around 10 years with Bloomberg and Reuters in the Asia-Pacific region. Wow, that's quite an impressive resume that you got there, Gareth. And how about yourself, Sarah? Hello, everyone. This is Sarah Dice, the senior reporter with uh, South China Morning Post, based in Beijing. And I cover artificial intelligence and the mobility services, among other technology beats. Before joining the Post, I was with Tai Xin, based in Hong Kong, covering financial markets, and also with China Daily, based in Beijing and also in London for a while. Thank you. And I just found out before we started the show that Sarah is actually currently in Beijing while Gareth is in Hong Kong and I'm here in Shanghai. So we're really coming at you from uh, the three major cities of China. Yep, so now let's good. talk about the report. And I understand that this is a report put out by SEMP Research, which is the analysis division of the SEMP. It's a 60-page report filled with analysis, data, and exclusive case studies. I saw this from your site. And it is available for purchase through SCMP Research. Now, we don't want to give away too much, but I do have some questions about the report. So I'm going to ask uh, away. So first of all, what are some of the key themes for the report? I think I can start, Carol. Um, as you mentioned, this is the inaugural report from the SCMP Research Division, and it's really based on the reporting that the technology team, Sarah and her colleagues, have done over the last 12 to 18 months. And the report is very much conceived as a very practical guide for business executives to the AI scene in China. It's not an academic treatise, although there is a lot of data and information in the report, but it's really aimed at people who have a general interest in AI, and particularly business executives who require intelligence on what's going on on the ground in China. We started off by analyzing some of the key themes, such as research, data, and AI talent in China. And then we also looked at a lot of different sectors in China where AI is being applied, such as manufacturing, retail, healthcare, and other areas. And I think one of the key things to bear in mind here is, you know, while we did find that China is taking a lead in adoption and application of AI, it's still in a very tight race with the U.S. overall for AI dominance. I can see that. And I think you answered this, my next question a little bit already, which is who is the intended audience of the report? 
Yes, um, perhaps I can just amplify a little. There are a lot of reports out there on AI, and they fall into different categories. There's a lot of academic discussion of the topic, and then there are also a lot of sector-specific reports. But what we wanted to do was gather in one place a lot of practical information, and we really see this as a business intelligence tool. Gotcha. And so if we look at the Chinese market on AI, first of all, how do we size this market? I think Sarah can talk a little bit about the size of the market? Sure. China, according to the official goal, China aims to build a market defined as core AI applications worth 150 billion yuan by 2020, while the overall related industry will reach 1 trillion yuan. And five years after, uh, from today, the core areas will be valued at 1 trillion yuan, while the overall will be worth 10 trillion yuan. So that's the official figure. But you raise a really good question, as there are also domestic scholars voicing concerns of whether this AI could fall into the solar paradox. That is, the whether the investment in information technology can live up and turn into the output of national level. So I would say the immediate economic impact comes in a more subtle way, like in the smart recommendations adopted by e-commerce or short video apps or the facial recognition used in smart cities. Well, in the middle term, AI will transform industries like healthcare and smart homes and the manufacturing and autonomous driving will have to wait a bit longer. And you did mention those figures, and it seems like there's going to be a lot of growth of AI in China. So what are some of these key drivers behind this tremendous amount of growth? I think a lot of people conceive of AI in the global economy today as a, as a race between the US and China. I think the best way to look at this in a, in a broad perspective is, you know, why is AI so important? And it's really about controlling the economy of tomorrow. If you think about China, it's the largest manufacturing economy in the world, but it's also the largest consumer market in the world. And that means two things. You know, AI has the potential to completely transform China's manufacturing efficiency, which is a tremendous thing for its economy, but it also is about personalization. It has the potential to transform the consumer journey. So these are the really two key ideas to bear in mind as you read the report. And this is why businesses are so keen to find out you know, what's going on on the ground in China, because China is one of the leading appliers of AI. So people want to learn about what China's doing with AI. And you mentioned that China is currently really in a tight race with the US for AI dominance. So do you think there are any cultural differences between the way the US and China have uh, in terms of their attitude towards AI? And does that push how AI technology is evolving in these two countries? I think I can open with just a general observation and maybe say Sarah can share some of her knowledge from being on the ground in China. I think a lot of people look at China and think that, you know, people are not so concerned about personal privacy when it comes to data. I think it's more accurate to say there's a willingness to adopt new technology in terms of convenience of everyday living. But, you know, Chinese people do have concerns about data privacy as well. Uh, and we've written many stories, you know, on the government itself cracking down on overcollection of data. But it's true to say that, you know, AI is usually measured across a few verticals, one being research, one being data, and one being talent. And clearly, in terms of the amount of data, China has a lead. 
But I think maybe Sarah can share some of her experience of cultural acceptance of AI in China. Yes, I think take this week's news for for example, like over 160 million people voluntarily made available their travel data during the the Lunar New Year holiday by the telecom operators just to serve as evidence of their travel histories because of the coronavirus outbreak. Chinese people, in my observations, are less cautious in terms of sharing the data, like Gareth have said, to make their daily life more convenient. And I think also separately, there's a huge population uh, being plugged online. That's another thing different from the U.S., which already has a high penetration for the online population. Like for the senior residents or those living in remote areas, they are embracing internet with smart speakers, live streamings, and short videos. And their preference while using the internet and technology will be quite different from ours. And there are surveys indicating that many Chinese people tend to trust AI more than doctors in their village or even their supervisors at workplace. That's another interesting thing. I don't know if they should do that, but that that is definitely a, an interesting attitude, a, a very different attitude than one that I can imagine that uh, North Americans or Americans have towards AI. So let's talk about what China is doing well. What are some of these key verticals that AI is dominating uh, in China? Again, Sarah can explain some of just the sheer amount of verticals where AI is being applied. But I think it's fair to say it came through in some key areas like um, manufacturing and smart cities and obviously surveillance very early on. But it's now being applied across different policy areas, social policy areas, such as healthcare and education. And just to add, I think just to kind of make a general point about the cultural acceptance of AI in China. I went back to the UK last year for um, a holiday and I was subject to the usual queues and delays, you know, as I went through passport control in the UK. But when I got off the plane back in, in, in this part of the world, you know, facial recognition makes things a lot more efficient and quick. So I think in terms of airports, security, public security, and also in terms of the police, that's been a very key early area. And it, it's really about being able to detect crimes quicker and about being able to identify and authenticate people quicker. So it's really an efficiency thing, but these are some of the kind of early sectors, if you like, where it has been applied in China. Yes, I would agree. Smart cities is a major area where we believe AI is dominating in China. That's also why most of Chinese AI startups chose to first commercialize facial recognitions in the smart city and and teach cameras to recognize a car plate or reckless driving behavior is an area with proven business model. And also another maybe hidden field, I would say, is smartphone itself. Basically, nowadays, every handset is embedded with voice recognition and computer vision. Consumers won't feel it as a standalone feature, but it's AI that actually helps them improve phone cameras to make better pictures. I know that in the report that you guys cover quite a few different industries. There's finance, autonomous vehicles, education, manufacturing, healthcare, smart cities, smart homes, and retail are the eight that are the major ones. Do you want to talk about a few, you know, what is your perspectives on the different verticals of AI application here in China? Okay, I'll kick things off. I think one of the areas like autonomous driving, that's one of the most exciting sectors. Although full autonomous driving, 
without any kind of human intervention is a long way away. What we are seeing is a lot of early stage AI development. And I think, again, there's a common myth. I mean, it's a fact that in terms of autonomous driving, the US has a lead. You know, the, the cars being developed over there, um, according to the California road tests, can go for longer without any kind of intervention from a human. But I think a key thing to understand is that the car trials in China are done under very different conditions. And this hints at one of the big problems with AI, with it being a very divisive issue. In China, for example, they test their cars in urban environments where there's a lot of disruption to traffic, where there's a lot of people crossing the road, where there's a lot of general chaos going on. So in many ways, the autonomous driving in China has been developed you know, more, even though on a strictly pure road test, they're not as advanced as the US. And I think this is another thing coming through whereby AI practitioners themselves say, you know, it's very important for collaboration, for the future progress of AI. Both sides need to be talking to each other and sharing data for the industry to advance. Gareth and our team has been very excited about the latest development of autonomous driving. I will just say another view, like uh, healthcare, uh, personally, I think is uh, very, very interesting. Given China has a large population and is notoriously known for its imbalance of medical resources, people queuing up to get the best doctors in the city, in the top cities. So nowadays, there have been hundreds of AI startups just purely focused focusing on assistive diagnosis tools like help screening breast cancers, analyze pulmonary nodules, or the eye diseases. I think it's doing the same, like interestingly, it's doing the same just as those tech giants in the US cracking diagnosis with AI to make it more efficient and accurate and helping the junior doctors. Some of the tech, it's very interesting that some of the technology is being imported to more advanced countries like Singapore have used a smart doctor assistant system uh, developed by Ping An. So there are very uh, interesting individual cases there. What yeah. about uh, retail? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, like people, I think that the industry professionals I've talked about all point to the smart recommendations as probably one of the most ancient but instrumental applications of AI in retail, like a hard to notice, right? But with AI, retailers can anticipate consumer preference and also manage their inventories. Another thing in retail is the use of unmanned warehousing and the deliveries, which can help retailers reduce costs. And it's same with autonomous driving, but with its low speed features, such delivery robots are more likely to be allowed in downtown areas. I'd just like to add a little bit about manufacturing. I think as Sarah mentioned earlier on, there has been a lot of hype with AI and some Chinese academics are concerned, you know, about the gap between the hype and reality and the fact that to um, implement AI can be expensive. But I, I think with the advent of 5G in 2020, China is expected to take a lead with 5G, the next generation mobile network. There is a lot of excitement because 5G will essentially enable the connectivity for a lot of AI to be introduced into manufacturing. So there's kind of a lot of anticipation about this going into 2020. And this will be key, if you like, to um, unlocking the full potential of China's economy. Challenge in the past was producing being able to produce thousands of individual products in the shortest possible time. As Jack Ma said, the founder of Alibaba last year, the kind of challenge in the future will be able to 
produce 5,000 products which are all personalized, which all have individual differences. And hopefully AI is something that will enable this to happen in the future. And let's talk about the companies that are making these things happen. You know, I'm sure our listeners are very familiar with some of the big names. There's, of course, Baidu, ByteDance, you know, we have Hike Vision, SenseTime, iFlyTech, etc. What are some of the AI startup unicorns in China that maybe we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, as you mentioned, the big names are all them, namely because a lot of them have been nominated as national champions. I guess the names that everybody's familiar with, Baidu, Alibaba and Tencent, but there are also this second wave, um, like SenseTime, MegVi and iFlyTech, but there are a new wave. And, and I think Perhaps Sarah can talk about some of the new companies coming through. We should also note at this point in time that the industry is under some pressure because of the tech war with the US. And last year, some of these champions were, such as Megvine, SenseTime and Hikvision in particular, have been added to the US entity list, which is going to block them from buying US components. But nevertheless, the industry is forging ahead. And a lot of these companies have said they already had enough inventories and they are adjusting their supply chains to deal with this. Yes, I agree with Gareth that definitely the first 15 national champion in AI will be those, the first batch of companies to look into for different applications. Not only because we agree with the decision by the policymakers, but also such endorsements can help the companies develop business associated with local authorities. Such endorsements is also instrumental for them to locate funding and attract talent. And speaking of the upcoming ones, I would say spotting the next batch of AI unicorns will be <laughs> more tricky given that the tech war, like Gareth mentioned, right now, like Chinese AI companies tend to be cautious in terms of participating in global contests. Like there used to be many of them debuting their latest technologies in the global facial recognition or computer vision contest. Right now, they tend to stay low profile and also try, because it's such a sensitive time, they want less profile. Yeah, I think maybe we need to take two steps back as well. And this was one of the key findings of the report. I mean, why is AI so important in China and why is it doing so well? You know, one of the advantages of many would say of market capitalist type economy, which the US has, is that it encourages innovation and risk taking. It's a kind of winner takes all. But you know, one of the key advantages of China's economic system is long term planning. And clearly China some years ago identified AI is a very key major policy objective. And what we've seen is a lot of entrepreneurs coming through in China and developing new applications and making new innovations in this space. And it's because it has the full backing of the government. That is correct. And Sarah mentioned a little bit about talent earlier. So how is China solving this talent issue? You know, having enough of a, a pipeline of talent coming through for AI, given that it's an evolving technology. Yeah, Sarah can talk about some of the educational initiatives in China, but that was another key finding. You know, alongside data, research, talent is one area. And I think, to be fair, um, the U.S. is considered to have an advantage in terms of talent. A lot of the most talented Chinese graduates have gone to the US for postgraduate studies and a lot of them take internships and junior level analyst jobs in, a, in Silicon Valley. But what we've found in a lot of our reporting is, you know, amid the current tech war environment, visa restrictions have come in. It's a little bit more of a hostile environment. Perhaps that's too strong, but it, it's certainly um, a more difficult environment for these young graduates in the US. And also a lot of people who have maybe four or five years experience under their belt, they are finding that it's now time to come back to China and take more senior roles in the domestic economy. 
Yes, I think to divide up talent for the junior level, China has given green light to set up AI majors at undergraduate level and that step up in training STEM talent. And among major recent measures, I plan to develop 50 AI research centers, world-class online courses, and a five-year plan to train more than 500 instructors and 5,000 students. And even you can see like the education starts at a very young age. Like people, the toddlers begin to learn coding. One of the news we wrote this week is since time, one of the AI national champions is offering free online classes to the primary school students and junior and senior high school students. Most of the students nowadays like are home quarantined due to the virus, but some tech companies would step up and decide it's a good time to popularize technologies and starts from young. Yeah, I saw one of the tech companies offering more homework <laughs> for students during the coronavirus because they're at home for a month longer now. Yeah, so and I think if, we need to mention that because okay. during the coronavirus epidemic in recent weeks, clearly this has given AI another push in China because people are at home, kids are being schooled at home, people are doing more online checkups, and a lot of this is powered by AI or AI enabled. So it is giving this new technology a- another push and it's really sort of starting to show its worth for a lot of people. A hundred percent. Yeah, I could I could personally feel the push as well. If US has an advantage over China for talent, then am I correct to believe that China has somewhat of a hardware advantage uh, over the US that would accelerate AI computations? And how would this augment the AI market? And how is this viewed by investors? Yeah, maybe I can just sketch. I think that one of the ways to look at this is Li Kaifu, one of uh, China's leading VC entrepreneurs and former Google head in China, has written a lot of books about AI. And he said AI is very much like um, the invention of electricity. The invention in and of itself is a fantastic thing, but it's really about the entrepreneurs applying it. That's what makes a difference. It was the US industrialists who applied electricity to the economy that drove economic growth. And in China, what you're seeing is entrepreneurs trying to apply AI in many, many different areas. So I think it's less of a hardware advantage. It's more of an eagerness to apply AI in in different aspects of the economy. I think it's more of a manufacturing advantage compared to the hardware advantage, I would Mm. say. China has an edge in manufacturing. And like Gareth said, it's also have a bunch of very eager young people uh, enthusiastic about starting business here. Also with the tech war, some of the scholars are thinking about returning to China and starting their own business with the incentives from the local governments and also to have a startup company here at home with massive data. So I think about hardware, like China is still catching up on the chip side. Although there are many companies now focusing on the AI chip, which can give them which can give them a relatively speaking faster track compared to building those traditional ones. They still have some homework to catch up before having the very mature and strong chip companies. Yeah, in terms of pure semiconductors, I think by general agreement, China is a long long way behind the US and Taiwan um, in particular. But in terms of AI chips, which perform a specific task, you know, many people see that this is where China can gain an edge. We 
talked a little bit about some of the different verticals of AI. And can you guys talk about maybe where do you think the Chinese AI industry will evolve towards in the future for some of the verticals? Yeah, it's very hard to completely predict the future, but I think it's probably worthwhile making a sporting analogy. It's like a game of football, American football, and we're in the first quarter. This story, this game has a long way to run. And what we're seeing now is a lot of early stage applications, but really, you know, everybody's getting ready for what will be the big game later on. So as mentioned, we're seeing early applications in healthcare, education, manufacturing, but ultimately this is meant to unleash, you know, it's it's being described as the next industrial revolution. So the change, I think everybody's agreed there is a lot of hype, but this this will be a real game changer. It is going to drive a lot of change. And even this week, Europe has come out with a, a policy declaration saying it really intends to catch up with the US and China, and it realizes it's fallen behind. So this kind of gives you a sense of how important it is economically. But maybe this is, I need to make one point. I mean, this report that we've done at the SCMP on China's AI industry, it's really purely a business intelligence tool. It's meant to be a practical guide. There are a lot of wider implications with AI for the future society. For example, there are a lot of moral and ethical dilemmas, and most big AI companies have ethics boards to look at these questions. You know, and, and even people like Elon Musk has talked about, you know, AI is like summoning the demon. It's a very dangerous thing and lead to the end of humanity. I think most people have a more balanced approach, and, and, and like any new technology, even the internet, when the internet first came in, there was a lot of naysayers and people who said it would be a negative force. I think with any new technology, you have to be very, very careful. And most of the companies are very concerned about the ethical dilemmas which AI might pose in future. Yes, I agree with Gareth. I think there are a lot of works talking about the the future of AI and its implications. I think it can be optimistic uh, or pessimistic. But from China's perspective, I see more in industry participants being pragmatic about applying the latest technologies into commercializable applications. Maybe there will be ups and downs in, in the industry over the coming two years or so. Like people here working really hard to make it good enough. Because obviously there's a breaking line for a technology to be good and for it to be good enough to apply in the real scenarios. So people are working towards that, just like first the AI being first commercialized in the surveillance and the smart cities and moving on to voice recognition being good enough for smart speakers. And I think they are working on the most of the Chinese companies we've interviewed are working on making it more commercializable while improving the fundamental technologies. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, Gareth both for providing so much insight. So that's all the questions that we have prepared on the China AI report. Hopefully we haven't given away too much, but just enough to entice you to check it out. Where can our listeners or audience find the SMP China AI report 2020? Well, we're promoting it mainly through the uh, the website and there will be a, there's a landing page on the website where you can sign up for the report. There's also a link at the end of every one of our tech stories with that information. So go to scmp.com, go to the tech section, you will find a landing page and then you will find a link at the end of any story. Just click on that and it will take you to a page where you can buy the report. I also saw that there is a 20% offer valid until the end of March. If you can find that article that Gareth wrote, because that's where I found it. Yes. Um, yes. And- 
<laughs> so yes, we are giving some early bird discounts and, and some promotions on the report, but scmp.com, that's where you can find all of the information. And I'm sure our listeners, uh, they still have a lot of questions that they might potentially want to reach out to both of you. So Gareth and Sarah, how do our listeners find you if they would like to reach you? Yes, I mean, both of our bylines are on scmp.com. And if you click on that, you can um, email us. And our emails are very straightforward. It's just our names at scmp.com. And one of the things we're very keen on with the tech team is to build a a community around our tech coverage. So please feel free to um, email us with any questions or, in fact, any kind of interesting story ideas. And we are also on Twitter and Facebook. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) What What are your Twitter handles, by the way? It's my byline. Just Sarah that. Yeah, and I'm going to have to be honest. I cannot remember what my Twitter handle is right now. It's not my scmp.com byline. I'm sure they'll be able to find you in one way or another. And you can also find us on all podcast platforms from iTunes Podcast to Spotify, SoundCloud, and Himalaya. And for feedback and suggestions, you can tweet to us at Analyze Asia on Twitter. So that's Analyze with an S. And you can also find my personal handle there as well. So thank you again to both Gareth Nicholson and Sarah Dye for taking the time to speak with us today. And thank you to SEMP. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you.